The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Raising his eyes toward his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you, and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven. For their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. But woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. If you marry, however, you do not sin, nor does an unmarried woman sin if she marries, but such people will experience affliction in their earthly life. I'll leave it for you guys to tell me whether he's right or wrong on that. Our readings today turn around the odd construction of words that we have in our responsorial psalm. As we've noted here before, in the psalms there is a marvelous game that the words of the psalms often play with our senses. Listen to me, daughter, see, and bend your ear. Hear, and you will see. What an interesting way of putting these ideas together. Senses that we don't think are connected in that way, that somehow hearing well involves seeing. Before I can bend my ear, I must see. And yet the fruit of listening is that only after I listen, I'm able to see clearly, able to see rightly. And in both our reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and our gospel, the Lord in no small measure, even as he is speaking to us, on the one hand through the apostle, and on the other with his own words, is addressing that reality of how do we see and know where we are. And this is vitally important. We believe that nobody knows the context and the elements and the nature of my life better than me. I know my problems. I know my limits. I know my opportunities. But if we're really honest with ourselves, 
we know how false those statements are. Often, very much of our experience of living is to discover that we didn't know ourselves and our lives as well as we thought we did. That we don't know our friends and even our family members as well as we thought we did. That we don't fully appreciate our situation. We see only what we convince ourselves is there. But to really know our lives, we have to let someone else direct our seeing. Someone else teach us their value and their meaning. And so St. Paul speaks to the Corinthians, and the community there is wrestling with two related issues that um, are asserting themselves as Paul is speaking. And one is living in the horizon of the second coming of the Lord. That this world and the order of this world is passing away. And so therefore, how do we respond? But on the other hand, but I still live here. And I still need to deal with the fact that I'm living here. And so speaking into this situation, Paul on the one hand is saying, look, no one has said the world is ending tomorrow, stop functioning. No one is saying that every believer must lay aside all earthly relationships for the sake of seeking the kingdom. Which is why he says if an unmarried woman gets married, she's not sinning. But he's also saying, however, that's not permission to bury ourselves and lose ourselves in the everyday, in the present, in the now, in those many things that claim our attention. Because the more we give ourselves into the hands of the world, the more we surrender ourselves into the hands of something that is fading and passing, and will not endure. And so this is why he turns around then and says, one must know how to live in this odd moment of time which marks Christian life. On the one hand, we live in a world that is passing. But on the other hand, what we are anticipating has not yet arrived. A victory has already been won, and we need to live within it and move according to it, but the fullness of that victory is not yet visible. And so this is why now Paul is going to say, those of you who are married, live in a certain extent as if you're not. And he doesn't mean surrender yourself to promiscuity. He doesn't mean abandon your family. He does mean, however, have a higher value for your attachments than simply your family. Because there is another claim on your heart. There is another claim on your life. And he goes further. Note what he says. Those of you who are weeping, don't wallow in your sadness. We do that, don't we? 
More so than our joys, we live in our sadness. We live in our frustration. When things are going wrong, we have this way of wallowing in it, of living in it, of indulging it. And so know what he says. That can't claim you either. Don't live in your troubles. Don't live in your problems. Don't surrender your life to your grief. But those of you who are rejoicing, don't think you get to live there either. That passes too. Know what he's really saying. You have to deal with all of these things, but none of them can own you. None of them can master you. Those of you who use the world, use it, but not fully. Don't be mastered by it. And here then, St. Paul is laying out for the believers in Corinth what the great spiritual masters have often referred to as having all things but possessing nothing. I have access to all things. I live in the world, but I don't cling to it, and it doesn't cling to me. The idea then being Open your eyes and see all of these realities that we think are so stable and certain and sure. Oh, they are passing. As solid as this earth seems to be, it is a passing reality. And real permanence, true eternal permanence, is not found here. Rather, here is at the service of our moving into that. And so move that way. And if you move that way, you will see rightly. And so note, listen to me and you will see. And in seeing, in seeing the transience of this world, in seeing the transience of all these things, in seeing that all of these things, good as they may be, they are still less than the greater good for which we have been made, to which we have been called, and which has claimed us in Jesus Christ. On a side note to that, speaking of marriage specifically, one of the beautiful ways that the church has historically spoken about the marital vocation is in terms of a comparison with the religious vocation. And the church has long kind of put this image out that religious life, that life of the unmarried, that life of the voluntarily poor, that life of those who have laid those things aside for the gospel is a sign of the not yet. The world is passing and we are moving toward a goodness that has not yet fully arrived. And the self-emptying and the self-denial of religious life is at the service of announcing the not yet. But there's an element of marriage life which is the necessary contrast to that. That there is a certain element of the already here. The already here that must be embraced and celebrated. And, but note how, again, the vocations are complementary. The already needs to be informed by the not yet. The not yet needs to be informed by the already. And how marvelous that is when we recognize it. 
because then we see how easy it is to reduce ourselves and our sense of reality, our sense of salvation, only to those things that are ready to hand in which we find ourselves. And it's here now that Jesus speaks to his disciples. And again, what an interesting statement at the beginning of our gospel reading. Jesus lifted up his eyes to his disciples. Now, does that mean they're sitting above him and he has to look up? Does that mean he was just looking down and now he's going to speak? But it's an interesting notion. He lifted up his eyes to them. Normally, Scripture speaks about us lifting our eyes to the Lord. This lifting up of his eyes is not insignificant. He lifts his eyes up from the earth to his disciples. In other words, implying and teaching us there's something about discipleship which must rise above the merely earth. There is an elevation to the life of the disciple that is intrinsic to it. Jesus is not speaking merely to the earthly now. He is speaking, he lifts his eyes. He is looking higher as he speaks to his disciples. What a fascinating idea that is. The Lord is looking higher as he speaks to you. Not higher than himself but higher than the earth on which you're standing, higher than the earth in which you're living. He lifts his eyes and speaks to them. And it is out of this lifting of the eyes, this seeing something that is higher, he says, blessed are you in your poverty, the poverty you have right now. Blessed are you in your weeping and the sadness that afflicts you right now. What a remarkable statement that is. We live in a world that says, oh, you're poor? I'm sorry about your luck. Oh, you're sad? Oh, I hope you feel better. Come back to me when you do. The world says there is no good in these things. It's not good to be poor. It's not good to be afflicted. It's not good to cry. And yet so many of us do, and that marks so much of our living. And when the world denies value to these realities, look at how much of life it's saying is worthless, is no good, has no meaning. The Lord, looking higher, sees more than the inconvenience and sees more than the lack because he sees those whom he has come to save and console. You who weep, consolation is coming to you. You who are poor and in need, goodness is coming to you. In your need, not where you don't need it, but where you do. Blessed are you, he says. And this is where we all pause and say, Lord, I'm, I'm okay without that blessing. Blessed are you when they say wicked things about you, when they hate you, when they persecute you, and they reject you because of me. 
On that day, basically, he says, throw a party. Celebrate that. Celebrate the fact that you are rejected because of me. Note that necessary back piece. He's not saying celebrate an abusive relationship. He's not saying celebrate cruelty. But he is saying that when your faith and your belonging to me brings difficulty into your life, open your eyes and see that that's a gift. It's an odd gift, but it is a gift because it's evidence that you're doing something right. Note what he says. That's how they treated the prophets. There's a touch of the prophetic about you when that happens. There's a touch of the fact that your life and your Christianity, your discipleship is real. Because the world recognizes it and doesn't want anything to do with it. When the world is uncomfortable, it tends to push away those who give it discomfort. So know what the Lord is saying. When that happens to you, open your eyes and see more than the difficulty. See who else got treated that way. Because they did it to Jeremiah. They did it to Isaiah. They did it to Ezekiel. They did it to Zechariah. They're going to do it to me. When your living of your faith brings you into difficulty, don't just see the difficulty. See what it points to. Look beyond the immediate and see where that's going and what it indicates. In the same way, the Lord then says, and you guys who are wealthy, oh, you just don't know what's coming. And you who are content and pleased and happy and think everything's just the way you want it, oh, I'm sorry about your luck. And again, the world says when it has those things, I have been blessed. And what it often means is I've blessed myself or the world has blessed me or circumstances have been good to me. Everybody but God. And I can rest here, and I can live here. And the Lord says, and you're going to fall asleep there. And when you do, you'll die there. And that's not a good outcome. Resting in the joys of this world is resting in a joy that will not endure and will not last. Resting in the comfort and the wealth of this world is to place your life in the hands of something that can't carry you to eternity. Oh, and, and note, he's saying this to his disciples. He's not saying it to the broader world. He's saying it to the believer. Note what he says. And when everybody loves you, oh, you better be worried. When everybody is happy with you, oh, you better step back and ask what's going on and what you're not doing. 
because that means you're not living your faith in a way that is recognizably authentic. Because the gospel has this tendency of ruffling feathers. The gospel has this way of butting up against realities that need to be changed and that don't want to change. And so if everything is popular, if everything is pleasant, you want to pause because that's a sign that something's missing. It's the opposite of what the world would teach us. It's the opposite of what the heart naturally would desire. But again, note the idea here is see beyond the blessing of the moment to what it indicates about reality, about yourself, about your life, and most especially about the quality of your belonging to me. And note what he says. The false prophets were treated that way too. In one of his um, writings about the Company of Mary, which he was founding, uh, St. Louis Marie de Montfort made an interesting observation. He said, you know, the easiest thing in the world is to be a popular preacher. That's not hard, he says. That's, really, it's just a matter of telling everybody what they want to hear. And it's a matter of a certain showmanship, a certain style, a certain engagement. But he said, let a guy who actually has a bit of the Holy Spirit in him climb into the pulpit and all the dogs of hell will start barking against him. And every time I read that, I stop and I think, I so don't do my job. Um, but there, you know, there is this element of when we truly are living the gospel, there's always going to be a pushback of some kind. And you know, Jesus is not saying, look for conflict. Jesus is not saying, go and make trouble. Jesus is not saying, showboat and call attention to yourself. But he is saying, when you go about the ordinary business of faithful living, you're going to come up against some things. And when you do, before you get frustrated, pause for a moment and remind yourself, it means I'm doing something right then ask for my help and ask for my grace and keep moving forward. But don't get too attached to your sadness. Don't get too attached to your joy. Don't get too attached to your wealth. Don't despair too much in your need. Don't simply grumble in frustration when things don't go your way. And don't be too happy when they do. And when we do that, and when we do that, we recognize that our eyes need to be lifted as well, that higher perspective the Lord gives us, that perspective which is we are pilgrims in this world, which is more a hotel than a home for us. We pass through this life because our true home is heaven. And he has come to bring us there. And so we hear again from the Psalms. Listen to me. Open your eyes and bend your ear. And hear, and indeed, you will see. Amen.